0: Good morning. It seems uh, that whenever Kathleen and I come back and I stand here and I tell you it's a joy and a privilege to be with you. Once again, it seems like I repeat myself. But you know, it's true. It's just a joy and a privilege to be here. And so uh, I don't mind being repetitive when it comes to saying that. I just want to say thank you again for... Heaviness, and for giving us the privilege of uh, sharing the scriptures with you. In our prayer this morning, it was mentioned about God changing lives or Jesus changing life, and that's the topic I would like to talk about this morning: change. How can Jesus change a life? Before we look at a passage of Scripture, though, I would like to ask a few questions. Why does the Bible contain so many stories of hurting people? Why do we read one account after another of Jesus meeting people with problems? You know, like the thief on the cross about to die... Like a wild man in a cemetery. Like a father with a son who wasted his inheritance in a far country. Like a widow at a funeral of her only son. Like an invalid for 38 years. Like a blind beggar. Like a very lonely lady who has come to a well to draw water like ten isolated lepers who had to cry out, unclean, unclean. Why does the Bible give us so many stories of hurting people like these? And I've only mentioned a few. And though the situations differ, their conditions remain the same. That is, they have nowhere to turn. Some blurt out desperate prayers. You ever blurt out a desperate prayer? I sure have. Some nurse a now desperate dream. Some are bewildered and some are helpless and some are hopeless. And in their hands, all they have is a broken rope. What do you do with a broken rope? And before each of these people stands Jesus. And I'd like to call him Lord Jesus. He is the one who majors in stepping in when everyone else is stepping out. So why are these stories in the Bible? So we can be grateful for the past. So we can look back with amazement and wonder. So we can say about Jesus, see how wonderful He was. And I'd like to submit that there's a whole lot more. And I'd like to answer no to those questions. The purpose is not to tell us what He did 2,000 years ago, but to tell us what He still does in the lives of people. We have His track record. And that track record tells me that He is still operative today and functioning today. And He still does those things that we cannot do for ourselves. And I'm so very, very grateful for that. And so my message this morning relates to the change that Jesus can bring to your life. And please turn in your Bibles to Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. And we'll read uh, verses 46 through 52. Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho, that is Jesus, with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him, be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped and said, call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, stand up, he's calling for you. And throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately, he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Let's pray together, shall we? Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful story of how you came into the life of a dear, needy man. And uh, he was changed. Father, we pray for ourselves this morning. Lord, you look into our hearts, into our very being, and uh, you see who we are and what we are. You see our need, and uh, you see people that you love and that you came into the world to die for. And so, Father, we commit ourselves to you today. Change us where we need to be changed. And bless us, because we pray in the name of Jesus... Amen. In this very remarkable story, I want to look at three groups of people. Uh, first of all, I want to look at blind Bartimaeus. Then I want to look at the crowd, the multitude. And then lastly, of course, we want to see Jesus. Uh, let's look at Bartimaeus, how he, is, how he is described and what his needs are. First of all, we notice he is blind. He's experienced a great loss. And the word regain in verse 51 tells us that he once was sighted. That he could see anything that we can see. He could see color. He could see people. He could see all that was about him. But he lost his sight. He lost his sight. And we know that sight is such a tremendous gift. He knew the discouragement of great loss and undoubtedly blamed his condition for why he now had to beg to keep himself alive. And to experience great loss and to be currently affected with no hope of ever getting better is to experience just great pain that doesn't go away. Secondly, Bartimaeus is poor. He's a beggar. He's dependent on others for survival. And I wonder how one's personal dignity or sense of personal worth enters in if you have to beg. Now if Lawrence Crabb, in his book Effective Biblical Counseling is right, this beggar's feeling of insignificance, of significance are next to nothing. And the feelings that he needs are so very important to survival. To feel you're inferior, to feel like you're in nothing, to feel that all you are is a is a beggar, is again to experience great pain. His name is Bartimaeus. The InterVarsity book by Ada Lum, entitled Jesus, One of Us, tells us that his name means the son of filth. The interpreter's dictionary of the Bible tells us it means the son of the unclean. How would you like to have a name like that? The son of filth. The son of the unclean. It's not unusual that a nobody is identified By name. There are a lot of nobodies that we call nobodies in the pages of the Bible, and most of them don't have a name. The two thieves on the cross don't have names. The wild man in the cemetery doesn't have a name. The prodigal son doesn't have a name. The widow of Nain who lost her only son doesn't have a name. But here we're told his name is Bartimaeus. Are we told his name because the writer wants us to know the depths from which he was rescued? Is that why we're told his name That he was rescued from the depths of blindness, the depths of being a nobody, of no reputation, the depths of being repulsive. And was this beggar really filthy? Was he really repulsive? Was he someone not to get too close to? Or was this the character of the beggar's parents? Was he homeless? no who would put him up in a nice apartment if he was repulsive did he have some kind of contagious disease in addition to being blind hence the name son of filth how many here like to get close to depressed people hmm? how many here like to get close to people who have problems Sick people. I was once asked to make a call on the person who was dying from AIDS. Yes, I I did have questions when I went to the home. I entered the home and came to the living room where the man on the hospital bed lay dying and in a coma. His partner was there. I took the hand of this man who was dying, placed it in mine, and I told him once again that great old story. I didn't know whether he could hear me or not, but I spoke to him as if he could hear me. I told him how he could have peace with God. I told him how he could have his sins forgiven. And then I prayed with him and committed him to the grace of God. This man died the next day. And uh, this man I didn't know, never did know him, didn't know his partner. But I was asked to take the funeral a few days later. Bartimaeus, I don't know what he had AIDS. I don't know what he had. Besides the fact that he was blind. But his name is a constant reminder to people to stay away from him. My name's to Bartimaeus, you know. And I suspect that Bartimaeus was a miserable, lonely person, maybe hungry, maybe destitute. You name it. Bartimaeus had it. One other observation about this man. He's a persistent person in his attempt to get the attention of Jesus. And his persistence was not diminished by the fact that the people were hostile to him. And uh, these were the very people that he did not want to alienate because he was begging. You don't want to alienate people from whom you may receive a coin or two. As a matter of fact, these people were on their way to Jerusalem, uh, probably to celebrate the Passover. And they would tend to be more generous at this time of the year, particularly when they're going up to Jerusalem. It would be like Christmas when we feel like we may want to give a little extra. And Barnabas was taking a calculated risk in order that he might change his condition. And his begging takes on a greater dimension from maintaining his condition to actually changing it. And verse 50 tells us that he threw aside his cloak. Now, throwing aside his cloak meant that he was throwing away the very receptacle for the coins. Because he would throw his coat on the ground and uh, people would toss their coins and they, you, know, you don't get too close to this guy. But you might throw him a coin and put it in his cloak. But he takes it and throws it away. And these risks tell me that the extent to which Bartimaeus would go in order to change his condition. Let's look at the crowd. They're on their way to Jerusalem. Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. They're probably very excited pilgrims. And these pilgrims, when they went to Jerusalem three times a year, they would sing the songs known as the Songs of Ascent that we have in the Psalms. There are 15 of them. And they probably had been singing these uh, songs And these pilgrims, it seems, also probably had some linkage with Jesus. And as they journeyed, Jesus taught them. And it was possibly this teaching of Jesus that was interrupted when Bartimaeus cried out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. So we have the mood of the pilgrims that was disturbed. They were listening to Jesus. Would you want to be disturbed if you were listening to Jesus? Huh? They were on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And they may have had spiritual, lofty thoughts, you know, way up there. They were in a kind of a heavenly place. And so they yell out to the blind beggar. And the text says they sternly told him to be quiet. You know how we tell people to be quiet when we're stern? We tell them shut up. Be quiet. You're so rude. Can't you tell we're listening to somebody important? Don't delay us with your begging. We're on our way to Jerusalem. You know? Do you, you get the picture there? And besides that, don't get too close to us. You're unclean. It seems that for every change that people attempt, there are some who would hinder, to disturb. And maybe that's the way it is for us. That whenever we make a move toward change, there's a hindrance. That certainly is the way it was for Bartimaeus. For some, they reason while the cost is too great, there are hindrances. Anyone here have any hindrances today that would inhibit you or prevent you from coming to Jesus Christ today, this morning? Are there any hindrances? Let's look at Jesus now. And the first thing I want us to notice now is His name. He's the Nazarene. You get the linkage there? The Nazarene. Jesus knew what it meant to live in a town that had a poor reputation. It was the town on the other side of the tracks. To be known as the Nazarene was to have people evaluate him as lower class, he's a peasant. No dignity. It was like being a a Dalit in India. And the Dalit is one of the untouchables. Or maybe it was like he was from certain parts of Richmond. Or from New Orleans or Atlanta or East Oakland. Competitive towns for being the murder capital of the United States. At least in some respects, there was a point of identification with Bartimaeus. Jesus understood the meaning of need, whether it was poverty or whether it was lack of reputation. He understood that. Like, we don't understand it. I don't understand it, even though I came from a poor family. The people that Jesus made contact with were people with whom Jesus could identify and so it was here. And Jesus is the empathetic Christ. He understands and to understand this sacrament. I use the word empathetic. And uh, years ago when I was uh, in graduate school, um, studying to be a marriage, family, and child counselor, I was given this definition of empathetic and it is to enter into the hell of another person. Jesus did that. He understood Bartimaeus and his condition completely. And as I said before, to be understood is almost sacramental. People are encouraged to change when there is a sympathetic person who understands even a little. That's why it's so important to listen to people. Secondly, I want want us to notice what Jesus does because he imparts hope to this blind man, Bartimaeus. The people... Having heard Jesus call to the man, say to, say to Bartimaeus, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. I want to go back to my time in graduate school again to tell you what the big names in psychology tell us are the greatest needs of people. These are the the biggest names that I know of. There's a man by the name of Helmuth Kaiser. He said that the central problem of all of mankind is loneliness. Alfred Adler says that the greatest problem is discouragement with life. Sigmund Freud says that the problems are conflicts in the subconscious. William Glasser says the problem is an emotional blind. Albert Ellis says the problem is wrong thinking. Carl Rogers says the problem is rejection. Eric Burns says the problem is a poor life script. And some of the rest say that the problem is the inability to fulfill basic needs. They all have their stuff. But these all agree that it is essential that the person be given hope. They could have read the New Testament and found that out, you know. And that's exactly what Jesus does with Bartimaeus. Gives him hope. Jesus is willing to give the son of filth an audience. And it's most interesting that the son of David, the kingly line has an encounter with the son of filth, the needy line. So you have these two contrasting, divergent lines coming together, and they meet. The key to change, of course, is hope. And hope is often misunderstood. Hope is not some kind of wishful optimism. Nor is it a jump into what feels good. Hope relates to why Jesus came to this world. He came to transform people from the inside out. And hope in the Bible doesn't mean maybe. Or it's a good possibility. Hope is something that is sure. Hope is something that is certain. It is going to happen. Those who hope biblically will receive what they hope for. And the reason it's called hope is because we don't have it yet. But it is there. It's coming. And we will get it. I'm hoping to be with the Lord forever. I'm hoping that. I'm not there yet. Will I get it? Absolutely. How do I know? God has promised it. I'm hoping for a new body. I've got a lot of scars on my body. And I'm hoping for a new body. I don't have it yet. Will I get it? Absolutely. How do I know? It's God has promised it to me in the book. Another thing that Jesus says are those remarkable words. What do you want me to do for you? I want you to personalize those this morning. If Jesus were standing up here instead of me, and he was saying to all of you, what do you, 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 want me to do for you? What would you say? What would you say? Jesus doesn't even tell this guy to to clean up. Jesus doesn't give him a bar of soap. He doesn't even ask him his name. Jesus accepts him the way he is without condoning anything. He simply accepts Bartimaeus as, as a person who needs him and who is open to his help. He accepts him the way he is. Jesus doesn't judge him. And the key to change is to be fully accepted. And Jesus accepts Bartimaeus fully. Something he does for everybody who comes to him. It's not a conditional Acceptance. Unless you clean up. Unless you change your act. Unless you lead a better life. He accepts us fully. Lastly, Jesus is consistent with His mission to Jerusalem. Mark chapter 10 verse 45 tells us, He came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The life and death of Jesus was completely involved in helping people in need. It was therefore thoroughly consistent with Jesus to stop the procession and call Bartimaeus. It was consistent to offer hope. It was consistent to ask how he could help Bartimaeus it was consistent to save Bartimaeus. The expression, your faith has made you whole, could very legitimately be translated, your faith has saved you. And the story closes in verse 52 with these words. Immediately, he regained his sight and began following him on the road. On the road. Hmm. Would you like to follow Jesus today and get on the road? Get on the path, whatever term you like. But get on the road, following Him. Wow. I wonder, as as He followed on the road, I wonder if He got in a conversation with some of the other pilgrims. It would be natural, wouldn't it? You know, talk to some of the other pilgrims, and and maybe they each had a story to tell. What do you think Bartimaeus would have said? Well, Hugo, there I was in Jericho, miserable. Didn't have any, Didn't have a hope or a prayer in this world. Had a terrible reputation. And Jesus came into my life. And I called him. You know, and he didn't turn a deaf ear on me like other people did. But he heard me. He listened. Then he asked me, you know, what can I do for you? And I told him, I said, I want to get back my sight. And I got it back. And that's why I'm following now. Because I owe him everything. I owe it to him. Followed him on the road. And The story of Bartimaeus can be the story of many people. How does a person change? First, by being aware of a need in your life. If you don't have a need in your life, why change? Secondly, a person changes by being willing to take a risk that change may require. And I'd like to ask some of you this morning to take this kind of risk. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and say, yes, I'd like to follow you Jesus I have this need in my life and I'd like for you to to help me I'd like to be sure that I'm on my way to heaven and I'm asking you to take a risk and raise your hand right now right now because Jesus will respond He will make the difference that we all need. And so I'd like to close this part by asking you the question that Jesus asked blind Bartimaeus in verse 51. Jesus says, What do you want me to do for you? Is there something you want him to do for you? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful, simple story of Bartimaeus and his encounter with the Lord Jesus. Father, uh, help us. You know, sometimes I know people don't want to take risks, but sometimes, Lord, we... uh, We may need to uh, just uh, open ourselves up to you. So, Father, we pray for each person here today. Thank you for them. Lord, I pray that uh, each each person here might indeed already know and love the Savior. And so we, we commit them and ourselves to you for the day, for the week. Lord, bless this fellowship of your people. And again, Father, we just pray that some may may respond this morning to the invitation. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.